Welcome to the Empowered Embodiment Podcast. I am your host, Robin LaCombra. In this podcast, we explore all the feels in their full spectrum. Movements, both physical and social. Creativity, advocacy, belief systems, ambition, community care. Creating cultures of compassion where more folks feel like they truly belong. So thank you for tuning in. Thank you for being down to do the work. Let's do this. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Empowered Embodiment Podcast. I am here with a dear friend that I've known for quite some time. I believe we met in 2007, Caroline Mango Singh. And Caroline is a really important person in my life and in my journey of of self-discovery. And we'll touch on that as we as we move forward, but basically I rejected a lot of my Filipinx cultural identity uh, until I met Caroline uh, and got involved with working with her and and learning with her and growing with her. And it's been so amazing to to stay in contact over the years and, and see how our relationship evolves and our work evolves. But I'm really excited to have Caroline on the podcast to talk about identity politics and how we can use art and creativity and fashion to create discourse around identity politics Um, and just figuring out who we are when where we come from can be confusing and muddled and uh, you know just dripping in colonial mentality. So the bumper sticker version of that. <laughs> so welcome, welcome, Caroline. It's so thank good to have you. you. Thank you so much, Robin. Yeah, and um, I'd love to give you the floor to introduce yourself to the people. Who are you? What do you do? Oh my gosh. Well, um, right now I'm an entrepreneur and I have been for, I guess forever, you could say, because I've always worked for myself. But um, I have a clothing brand, and it's called Vinta Gallery, and it specifically features Filipina, it's called Filipiniana, Filipino clothing, like cultural clothing, but fashion. So generally, in the last, I would say, maybe 30 years, it hasn't been so fashionable. So, but prior to 30 years ago, it was very fashionable. So I'm just like trying to reclaim and own that and serve it to the diaspora. Mm, Yes. I love that. I feel like you've always been um, an advocate for the modern Filipino, Filipina, Filipinex, um, Mm. which is what drew me to you to begin with. So thank you for that. (laughs) You're welcome. Yeah. Um, so you recently released a, a blog post, or, um, a letter to the Filipinx in the diaspora. Mm-hmm. And this really struck home with me um, 
because of what I mentioned earlier, that so much of my life I spent rejecting or being ashamed of um, my cultural identity. And um, there was so much about what I witnessed in um, my family's behavior that just didn't feel good for me. Um, and so when I was reading this, this blog post and you talked about the model minority and um, it, it just really affirmed and put into a language what I had always felt in my body. Like I remember always being so frustrated at my mom and my titas for being submissive or not talking about the hard stuff with each other, like just, you know, mm -hmm. stuffing it down or being like, just pray it away, <laughs> that kind yeah. of toxic positivity. Um, yeah. Or, you know, not even acknowledging trauma as trauma. And so hearing and reading about the model minority trope in your blog post, it was like, oh, that's, that's what that was. They were just trying to be the good little brown person that the white people like. Um, so, yeah, I wondered if you would want to speak on that a little bit. Well, it's something, you know, prior to doing the clothing, I was doing a Filipino cultural center. And it was something that was always, always on my mind. Um, because I also, I'm an immigrant and we moved um, to North America when I was only 10, but I still lived a good chunk of my life in the Philippines. And it's the same over there. It's not just the diaspora. It's like, you know, the kind of colonized mentality runs in the entire country. So then moving to the States was like my mother's dream. And that's why she named me Caroline Jean, you know, <laughs> which I hate so much because it doesn't <laughs> go with my last name, which is indigenous. So it's like, oh, okay. So this is now we are fulfilling our dream of becoming American, you know? And it's like, and so let's throw away all of the Filipino-ness mm. completely because that's garbage. Basically, that was what I was raised with, right? And then I just saw how it broke down for people and how it kind of created so much self-hate. And there's just like a missing, it's like your foundational confidence as a young person growing up, when you are raised with self-hate, like you're raised to hate yourself, like there is there is no filling that void mm. until you address it you know what I mean so I feel like for people and the the thing that prompted me writing that was um the Black Lives Matter matters movement and what was happening in the states and it's like okay well and and then everybody's performative black square which I also did because I was like oh is that what everybody's doing right now <laughs> oh let me just oh and then I took it down because I was like no 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 wait <laughs> I was doing that too quickly um, let me just think about this and I gave myself a couple days and just looked at what everybody was posting and what people were doing and how everybody was getting called out for like being performative quote unquote so I was like okay I just want to address us like mm. the Filipinos and and because it's what I know and what I know is what our problems are like specific to our culture and specific to our the way that we've been raised and and how colonized we are as a people so that's why I wanted um 
to kind of talk about that because we're not going to be able to contribute in a real way in this global kind of reckoning of BIPOC people like, you know, all of us who are colonized, who have been subjugated, who have been oppressed and, you know, and we can't, and we, we all have this kind of white supremacist kind of mindset. We're raised in it, right? So we have to look at individual cultures, like wh who is your parents? Where did you come from? How were they taught? So we have to kind of look at it in a per really personal way in that way. Um, so that's, that's where I kind of started with that. And since I'm a Filipino cultural kind of bearer, I guess you could say, because I'm kind of creating um, or continuing the culture through clothing and like looking at our traditions and kind of remixing it a little bit or just staying true to it, but always referring back to it. So I think as a, as a person that is making Filipino cultural um, products, it was part of my contribution to the conversation online. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. I really love what you said there around um, our roots being in self-hate and if that's what we're raised in. <laughs> what that, it what sucks. That it's terrible. It's yeah. a terrible, terrible thing. You know, like the moment that I landed in the States and was going to school, I was like paired up with the the Filipino boy in the class and funny enough we were the smartest kids in the class so we were always like the monitor when the teacher left <laughs> and so I was like oh my god so I'm like speaking Filipino to him and and then he just and he understood everything and he would nod and he would respond in English and then he looked at me one day like a week into school and he's just like you need to stop speaking that now because you're in America Oosh. and that just spiraled me into my shame. I didn't speak Filipino again for the next 15 years. Like I refused. I was so humiliated and he didn't mean it. We were 10 years old. You know what I mean? Like he didn't mean it in any kind of way. It's just that that's how he was raised as an American, a Filipino American. Yeah. And like, it sounded too, like he was trying to give you the, the toolkit of survival yes. <laughs> you know like oh if you want to make it here you got to erase that part of yourself yes exactly yeah mm -hmm. so that was that you know and that continued that kind of self-hate just snowballed over the years right mm -hmm. and so what led you to move through that self-hate and transform it into well, when I met you, you were heading up the Kapisan on Art and Cultural Center in in um, uh, in Kensington Market, downtown Toronto, and and so which which is like the opposite of self hate, right? It's kind of like <laughs> the answer of let's celebrate our culture with other young um, Filipinx in in the neighborhood or or in Toronto. So what, what was that switch for you? Can you describe that journey from going to not speaking Filipino to heading up a Filipino arts and cultural center? <laughs> I know, right? It was a long journey. <laughs> it didn't happen in a you know, flip of a switch for sure. 
Um, I think going to art school was um, the catalyst for sure, because in art school, they ask you to look at yourself, you know, like art school 101 is like self portraits and self this self, you know, it's like really examining yourself, but it's like, I'm in an art school with 90% white people. Like there's hardly anybody um, of color at that time um, at Emily Carr in, um, in Vancouver. And um, so we were doing, I, I have a degree in photography. So photography first year, second year around, you know, we were doing self portraits. And this is before Instagram, iPhones, everything. It's just like film camera, you're taking a photo of yourself. So it's like, <laughs> you have to set it all up and like, you know, really kind of put the symbols of what you want to represent kind of thing around you. And one of my profs was like, well, Caroline, you should go to the Philippine Women's Center on Hastings. Mm. And I was, again, it was like that same kind of humiliation as the boy in my grade four class was like, she called me out for being Filipino and I forgot that I was, mm. you know, and I was mortified. It was like, oh, this bitch just said I was Filipino. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I felt so much shame that she had to tell me, this mm. white woman had to tell me to go talk to my people, you know, wow, to find out more about myself. It was like, when I think about it, it's like, it still makes me want to cry because it's like, it was such a slap in the face. I was like, dang, I have buried it so far that a white woman had to tell me that I'm Filipino and I need to go find out more about it, you know? Wow, that is so mega. Like the reason why you oppressed that Filipino side of yourself was to become more favorable to the white gaze. And then yeah. <laughs> a decade later, that same white gaze is giving you permission to. Uh, giving me permission, Robin. <laughs> My God, it's awful. <laughs> oh, you are allowed now. <laughs> I know. Go, go with your people. It's like, oh my God, what? Um, but yeah, so from then on, I, I, you know, I started doing a little bit of volunteer work with um, the Philippine Women's Center and their politics was a little bit too radical for me at that time because I was so like just coming out of pretending I wasn't Filipino. So it was like, <laughs> it wasn't 101 level for me. So I'm like, whoa, this is too much for me. So it's like, it was reading through, you know, the Black Power academics like Angela Davis and like taking women's studies and kind of, and then it all started to mesh like mm. the whole idea of oppression and colonization and colonial mentality. And, you know, and, and then it was like after school, um, I got an internship with the UN in Africa and then going to Africa, going to Kenya, it was like, Oh my God, they remind me so much of my people. Mm. I, should, I should go back home. You know, and then so that's when I started going back home. And then, you know, and then I met Romeo, my partner, who only makes Filipino cultural, Filipinex cultural um, content um, as a filmmaker. So I started producing from him and with him. And it just kind of, kind of kept going from there. 
it was like everything that I did just had Filipinx, Filipino, Filipina content. And I couldn't stop myself anymore. It was like, this is it. This is all I'm doing to, to take back all of those years of just denying it. Mm. And, and then I, I really found my purpose in that because I knew that it wasn't just me. I wasn't special in my denial of my culture. You know, it's like all these other Filipinx people everywhere also have it. It's not just me. So it was like I became the, you have to love being Filipino. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and I'm so grateful to you for for doing that. Like, you know, you were given quote unquote permission by a white woman to reconnect with your roots and and because you did and so fervently, like the person that gave me permission to reconnect back to my roots was you, a Filipino oh. woman that I looked up to. So it was it's so, you know, I just I want to take a moment to celebrate and uplift that that um you moving through that shame uh, and, and, and dedicating or realizing that your purpose is in, in uplifting and connecting, uh, reclaiming Filipinx culture. Um, empower, is, well, it empowered me. Uh, and, and yeah, your story of, or the, the thing that you said that your denial isn't unique, like that, <laughs> I feel that in my bones when you say that, <laughs> I feel it in my bones. Yeah, yeah. for sure. You're welcome. Mm. Thank you for mm. joining the ride. Oh, yeah. So it was like, oh, there are cool Filipinx people out there um, who are fighters and fierce and because that was the opposite of my experience was like you know mm. uh not to out my family but there's so much infidelity in my family and mm -hmm. um and the women just take it mm -hmm. and I'm like what the fuck is that about <laughs> like don't let them do that don't let them just sit on the couch and drink beer don't let them you know what I mean there's like so much that I was angry about but fighting the the fighter uh and the advocacy wasn't present in in what i saw um mm -hmm. of of filipinx culture it's the model minority thing that you were writing about and the toxic positivity that also plays mention in that blog post so when i met you <laughs> i was like <laughs> yes i want to fight with this bitch let's go let's I mean, go in, alongside you not with you but yeah. <laughs> alongside you no, but it's like the patriarchy that's particular to our culture is through colonial um, ideas as well, because a lot of, you know, there's a lot of really strong Filipino women in the diaspora, and they were the ones that brought entire clans over here, and mm. they led the way by being a nurse, by being an engineer, by being, you know, and, and it's like, that's in our blood. It's like a lot of the indigenous cultures in the Philippines are matriarchal. Mm. And they were like equal, if not more elevated than the roles of the men, right? And, and then the Spanish came and it's like, oh, you're Catholic, you need to cover up those boobs and wear big voluminous dresses and hide your body and just serve your man, mm. you know? And it's like, my mom is the same way. It's like, it, it breaks my heart, like the kind of control that 
held her in her in her place where like she couldn't really do anything she was scared Hmm. to do anything on her own you know and I was like I can't I can't deal with it I can't deal with it there has to be another way that we can kind of look at it that's why when I was running Kapisana and it's like a lot of the parents generations hated me (laughs) they did not like me empowering their children (laughs) and being critical of like the parts of the culture that you know they've accepted and kind of live you know and being critical of like the kind of obedient thing that we were supposed to be as children of filipino parents like you just have to obey mm-hmm. and you know that's a generational thing it's a cultural thing and that part of it has got to go it's like i don't like that word obedience because it's not you're not allowed to question anything, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like there's a, a lack of nuance around acceptance uh, and critical acceptance. Like mm-hmm. we, the oh well, the generation before me, so my mom's generation, like they ex- they accepted and tolerated so much by means of or as a, as a way to survive, as a means to survive and, and create um, a better life for the incoming generation, so our generation. Um, mm-hmm. But there was no critical accept, like their acceptance wasn't critical. It was just blanket statement, generalized, okay, I'll, I'll accept all of this. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so much of what I'm waking up to is what, my mom's generation did to survive I need to unlearn in order Mm -hmm. to survive or thrive it's like they 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 did what they got had to do to get us here Um, Mm -hmm. and it's that same very thing that we need to dismantle unlearn and pivot um, so that we can expand yeah absolutely absolutely and so how are you doing that via vinta and art in general like how are you using creative expression as a way to unlearn relearn reclaim dismantle all of the buzzwords right now around (laughs) (laughs) anti-oppression um well i think that uh i I do get some criticism for kind of taking my designs a little bit further than what has been You know, like the, the Terno sleeve, for example, there's a bunch of purists back home, back in the Philippines who kind of don't want to recognize that I'm making Filipiniana because my sleeves are collapsible or not, <laughs> you know, like little thing, little technical things like that. And it's like, yeah, but we have to wear coats over here, you know? Yeah, right. So it's like, I'm not going to wear this stiff ass dinner plate on your sleeve and not be able to wear a coat in the winter. So, you know, there's like little adjustments that I'm making and kind of pushing my design so that it's wearable for us. And it's, you know, and then I also was talking about decolonizing the barong where a lot of the traditional embroidery is just, um, it's actually like Belgian and French and Austrian kind of lace motifs like the swirls and vines and floral 
kind of motifs of the barong. It's like all that stuff it, it, that didn't come from the Philippines. The mm. it's all European design that kind of infiltrated the barong, which is basically just a shirt, but it was made with pineapple fiber, and that was worn by indigenous people to ward off mosquitoes. It was like wearing a mosquito net, basically. Oh, I didn't know that. I love that. I need that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mos- yeah, it's like a mosquito net, and it was see-through because they wanted to make sure that you could see the their tattoos, which is their status, mm. right, through it. And then the Spanish took it and was like, oh, now our our natives that we've colonized can't conceal weapons because the shirt is see-through. And, mm. then, and then they just embroidered, you know, their European lace patterns on it. And this is like, what, 500 years? That 300? I don't even know the exact, but hundreds of years of colonization. And to this day, no one has really, like it's not as common to kind of create embroidery motifs that are more relevant to Filipinos. You know, so it's like, I have a surface designer in the Philippines who's a brilliant illustrator and he's obsessed with Philippine flora and fauna. So all of the things, all of the, indigenous flowers and orchids and all these different species and so now that's what we're putting on the barong as embroidery and then he always has like a, a, he always talks about like which species are endangered and where they are in the archipelago so you know like if you're from like one of the islands you know we designate like okay so this orchid is totally indigenous to this island that's incredible yeah so when i met him i was like oh my god i love that let's let's do that on the barongs so then it has a different meaning you know and you know when we do custom stuff like for brides it's like i always say do you want florals and usually they do and it's like what are the flowers that are meaningful to you and we can put that onto your dress Amazing. It's so incredible to see, um, to see how, like, activism doesn't always have to be so serious, right? Uh And, like, politics doesn't, or, you know, the healing from politics or revolutionizing our politics doesn't always have to be so um, black or white, Um, and so I love that you're using Vinta as a way to address things in, in a way that feels a bit more accessible, right? Like yeah. you can you know, wear I'm your cultural pride. I'm and, all about accessibility because not everybody is going to be at that heightened kind of radical kind of level of awareness, you know? So it's like Vinta is like, the clothing is like food. You know how the whole Filipino food movement has kind of opened up doors for, you know, the Filipinx diaspora to even look, be proud of something and not be embarrassed. You know, it's like, oh, food. Fashion it functions in the same way. And there's like, there's like a little bit of kind of talk on the internet about how, you know, aesthetic doesn't have a place in kind of radical politics Mm. and I wholly disagree (laughs) 
I agree with your disagreeance. <laughs> right? I mean, like, Kapisanan was like, a lot of people came to Kapisanan because our branding and design was so slick. Thanks to my sister. Shout out, Christine. Ooh, I love Christine. Shout out to Christine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, people who, who came and helped me with Kapisanan were like, would tell me things like, I have never seen Filipino cultural community work look so beautiful. And that was the entry point. We That's baited it. them with beauty. It's like, it, it doesn't have to be toxic. It doesn't have to be superficial. Like, you know, like beauty can have depth and can be an entry point for people because we're all attracted to it. Oh yeah, totally. It's a tool. It's totally a tool. You know, so I, I don't think that we have to kind of do away with beautiful things to be conscious in a certain, like a certain hit of a certain level of consciousness, you know, I think it all can come together. Yeah, absolutely. I love how your work, um, like listening to you talk about your work over the years, it's like you are benevolent, benevolently weaponizing beauty and what our pain points were or our shame towards empowerment and connection like the the thing that you said about food oh my goodness I remember being so ashamed of mm -hmm. my food where my mom would have me just pack my leftovers from the dinner before like fish sinigang or whatever so it's you know it the uh, aromatics of it were pretty strong and I'm like yeah. I just want I just want pasta and cheese and wonder bread <laughs> like passing up this rich meal for white bread <laughs> come on I got the opposite I had the white bread the, with like one slice of bologna and pickle relish this is like the Filipino version of the sandwich right? <laughs> yeah. it was so nasty I was like I always threw it out and then I was like my mom was always like why are you so skinny because <laughs> I want sinigang for lunch I, exactly <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly. and so yeah the the using the thing that used to cause us shame as a way to empower and connect us with our oh. roots and with each other like i i love the i love i loved it when the philip like the philippine cuisine was starting to make it make a stronger wave in the toronto restaurant world um mm -hmm. and so for you to be doing that same thing with with cultural wear is incredible like the only time i ever wore cultural filipino cultural wear was um when i was I would like, I was a part of a Filipinx dance troupe for a little bit. And so it was all very costumey. It wasn't mm -hmm. something to be worn on a day to day. And, and, and also it did cause a bit of, for me, a bit of shame to be like, what am I doing wearing this? I have no connection to it. I don't, you know what I mean? But with, 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 when you came out with your line with Vinta Gallery, um, I was so drawn to it and, um, and I proudly wear my pieces outside of cultural engagements, like just cause. Like, oh, mm -hmm. I'm going to the grocery store. I'm going to throw on this thing. Um, and then can talk about it with pride. So I love how you've been, from the time that I've known you, your career has been about making uh, Philippinex culture accessible, um, 
reminding us that it's cool and allowing us to connect on that cool factor because that cool factor allows us to step into that pride and away from the shame that uh, usually grips stronger. So Mm -hmm. yeah, your work has been my medicine against my cultural shame. Yes. That's what I meant to, to do just because it's like, it's cool. Our stuff is cool. Yeah. all the different cultures that have melded and mixed together and kind of, you know, make up who we are is, is the coolest thing. And I think that because we didn't have the knowledge, it was erased and kept from us. So that it's like, that's the, the bottom of the shame, you know, like that is the foundation of the shame is the not knowing. Mm. So it's like, if we can highlight it by making it cool, it's kind of like subverting it a little bit, subverting the shame. Yeah. Thank you for bringing up the not knowing. Like when I try to dig and, and do my conversational research with my family about where, like, where are we from and, and, and what, lineages are we linked to there's so much uncertainty and unknowing there and I'll I keep on I try to ask my mom about like her parents and where her parents are from and where their parents are from and so much of it is like I don't know we're just farmers I don't know we're just farmers I'm like but before farming what did you I don't know we were just farmers (laughs) uh and then same thing with my dad and uh it's like I'm hungry to know where um where my roots are from, especially as I, as I'm engaged in the work of decolonizing my own behavior, like instead of borrowing from other people's indigenous practices around healing, what are my own? Mm-hmm. Um, or where are my, where do my roots um, extend into? And so in that, in that uh, journey of trying to discover, I've, I've hit a wall where there's no more information for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and unfortunately, my my grandparents on both sides are no longer earthbound. And actually, today is my Lola's birthday. Hi, Lola. Happy um, birthday, Lola. <laughs> Lola, where are we from? <laughs> um, yeah, and and so I feel a bit, I, I feel sad and regret about not taking advantage of those uh, of those stories when there's those stories were still um, accessible, like when my grandparents were still alive. Um, so it's really a, a, a tribute to colonization that these stories didn't get passed on, you know, mm-hmm. because there's such a rich oral history in the Philippines. It's like, oh, you know, the ghost stories and like the swung stories and all this kind of stuff like we got those but we don't have <laughs> actual stories of our lineages right mm-hmm. like it's so sad and and it's like why for for so many cultures in the archipelago that's were really rooted in in oral histories we don't have anything like what happened something just fell down in a crack and we can't find it anymore you know and there is no kind of going back now it's like we just have to make assumptions it's like well your family's from ilocos right so you're somewhere from up north you're probably from one of the cordilleras tribes and you know and then you can just kind of go from there it's like a guessing game Mm -hmm. 
which is terrible. Um, but this is what we have to do now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then I, I find myself hesitant around, um, around fearing cultural appropriation within my own culture, you know, as I reclaim or as I try to claim for the first time where my roots are, um, I find myself wondering, like, am I allowed to, or am I now, like, um, am I now appropriating thing. something or am I now colonizing something? Um, it's like, I think that there, that whole cultural appropriation within the Philippine archipelago, because there's so many cultures, that debate, I find, um, it's not black and white mm. because um, we have to be a little bit gentler. So when I talked in my blog post about how we don't have an identity outside of a colonized one, right? Mm -hmm. Like a national patriotic. So if you're being patriotic and waving a flag, you're basically just, you know, you're, you're kind of hailing the colonizer (laughs) 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 essentially right Mm -hmm. but it's like but what else are we gonna do what do what are we gonna do right like most people are removed from if if they come from um indigenous ancestry it's totally erased it's gone it's like we don't know like there are people who can you know trace it back to just their grandmother or great-grandmother to a particular um indigenous group for example like for me, it's like, I don't have access. Like supposedly I'm Kalinga. I was told by a Kalinga elder at an indigenous conference <laughs> in BC, like many years ago, Mangosing, you're Kalinga. I'm like, oh my God, really? And <laughs> my dad had no idea. I asked him and he's like, oh, well, the Mangosings were originally from Pauai, which is like way, way, way North Ilocos. And so that's like, kind of Kalinga region around. So I'm like, mm. okay, that makes sense. And she was like, you, your family was not colonized. So you come from a family of chiefs. And I was like, oh shit. And it's like, <laughs> what? And it's like, that kind of information is so precious because it was like, even my own dad and his family don't know this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know? And it's like, and, but I'm from Manila, so there's a lot of um, talk about Manila people um, being the cultural appropriators, right? mm-hmm. which is totally true. Um, but also being raised in Manila, we were taught that all of the indigenous cultures in the Philippines were ours. So when we had these um, culture week or culture month and all the kids, you know, you've seen those kids in China where there's like 500 kids and they're all dancing in unison. Mm-hmm. We do that in the Philippines too. <laughs> and we do like different kind of um, folk dancing, right? Like the, the Igorot dance and the Sinkil, which is like Mindanao in, in the South. And, you know, there's all these different ones. And then there's like the the folk, the Tinikling, which is more kind of Tagalog based, I think it's like Luzon based, um, Southern Luzon anyway. So it's like all of the stuff that we have access to is supposedly Filipino, quote unquote. They're all from different cultures that all functioned separately before colonization. And we were taught that 
we have access to all of it. So it's like for the regular Pinoy from the Philippines, Pinay from the Philippines, who was taught that, we have to undo that mm. first and then kind of approach all of the different cultures that exist within our nation, quote unquote, and kind of treat it. It's like the idea of indigeneity and uh, um, indigenous identity in North America versus settler. That dynamic, I feel like, is not as easily translatable to indigeneity in the Philippines. Right. So the, it's is very complex and layered and kind of like our experience over there is totally different. And the way that we were raised with these, yes, for sure, they're totally um, oppressed, like in like land and ancestral lands are constantly being, you know, swiped away from the people who have the rights to them. Um, but the regular civilian diasporic person or immigrant person who now lives here, like myself, it's like the the kind of blame and the kind of um, animosity that is happening is is really hard to kind of integrate because it's like, for me, it's like I always thought that all of that, I was taught that it's all ours. So that's why for certain things in my, um, clothing line, for example, the Ifugao weave, non-Ifugao people are grabbing onto it because they recognize it. And they recognize it as a pre-colonial identity. Mm. And that's, that's like the marker. That's like the, the touchstone, mm. you know? And it's like, let's talk about the real issues of, you know, Ifugao people in the Philippines. Like, let's, I can only touch on it a little bit, but it, I feel like if you're going to buy that, you need to dig more. So those are the kind of, kind of compromises, I guess. Um, but it's, it's complicated because not everybody agrees with me. Yeah. Cause it's such a tangled web. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. Um, I love that you held the comparison of of North America and and um, like the quote unquote nation of the Philippines, the Republic of the Philippines, which is like mm -hmm. a bunch of sovereign people stuck together. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, and how in North America or Turtle Island, it's a little bit more obvious. Like you are either a settler or you are indigenous uh, to the land, whereas Mm -hmm. um, in, in the Philippines, that is way, that, that distinction is, is way more nuanced because we are all from that land and we very much look similar, um, but our mentality. And there are different like, races there and there's mixes and mm -hmm. we are very much Creole, you know, like we are all mixed up. There's Chinese Filipinos, there's, you know pure indigenous and then there's like the mestizos and and that kind of thing and colorism does exist so we can talk about that oh mega um, mega yeah. mega mega um and and you know and we have to think about like the whole um indigeneity there it's like before the spanish came the some of the groups in the fill in the archipelago 
had caste systems in place. They had slaves. Mm. So not all of the indigenous cultures can be like, I don't know, it's a little bit fetishized Mm. because not all of it is like pure kind of, you know what I'm saying? Like we just have to take everything with a grain of salt. Right. Like slavery wasn't born out of colonialization of the Philippines. Slavery was already in place. Yeah. There's a Tagalog word for it. It's alipin. And that's like, you know, that existed before. Any Tagalog word that exists means the concept existed before colonization. Mm. So that existed. So those are things that's like, and that's not necessarily something that we need to take on into the future. (laughs) (laughs) So we have to be critical of that too. And and what are we kind of hanging on to in terms of the pre-colonial identity? Right. Yeah. It's like tradition um, without discernment is still harmful, which kind of ties back to what you were saying before about the purist critique Mm -hmm. around your um, Terno sleeves. Mm -hmm. Is that, yeah, like something can be rooted in ancestry, um, but that doesn't mean that it shouldn't go through the cycle of evolution so that it serves the present day. Evolving. Yeah constantly evolving and I, I don't think that it's we we should stop it I don't think that it should stagnate and be like this is how it was back then yes they were like the best guardians of nature and land and that that's what we should be listening to but not all of the things that are part of the traditions need to be you know taken into the future right yeah if it's harmful leave it behind <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it's so nuanced. There's so many different things, but um, inevitably, like conversations online are very reductive. And there are certain things that kind of fall through the cracks. And it's, it depends on who's speaking about it, right? Like, is it someone from the Philippines? Is it someone from the diaspora? What is their experience? We can't delete that from the conversation. Like, where are you coming from? What kind of biases are you coming with when you talk about the Philippine X experience? Oh, yes. This is such an important thing to raise, especially as more and more of us are waking up to um, our lineage. Like, for example, you and your recent discovery, or I don't know how recent the discovery was about your, like, connection to or to your family being Kalinga Mm -hmm. it's like okay yes you your family is Kalinga but did you experience like what was your that's why I never say it really it's not like something I don't say I'm a Kalinga woman it's like no I do I have a Kalinga (laughs) last name yeah (laughs) and somewhere down the line we can trace it back to Pauai yeah, and I think that's important for for the like people listening is when we wake up to the identities or the elements that make up our identity that we also need to couple it with how that identity impacted our experience. So I, I love that you brought it up because yeah, as more and more people in the diaspora are maybe waking up to their indigeneity, it's like did you did you suffer that oppression or? Um, like let that be weighted into the way that you advocate or hold space for or forgive or mm-hmm. whatever it is. It kind of is like, um, mm, I'm going to draw a parallel and maybe I'll get heat on it, but um, I want to draw a parallel to being queer, like 
queer isn't always visibly presented. Um, mm -hmm. Like queer doesn't have a look. And so you could be a queer person or discover that you're queer later in your life, uh, but then never have had suffered um, the oppression or marginalization that some folks who can't hide their queerness um, mm -hmm. in the same in the same way. So yeah, there's, there's this very muddy gray area of our identity um, and whether or not those elements of our identity really impacted our experience and um, mm -hmm. how can we use our experience to shape the way that we show up and advocate for each other. Yeah, and just also just being transparent mm. about where you're coming from. And it's like, I ran a Filipino cultural center. I've made Philippine X content um, through, you know, media. And now I make Filipiniana clothing. But it's like, I am not ever saying that I know everything <laughs> or that I can't misstep or that um, I can't misrepresent something. Mm. Um, everything that I do is based on my experience as an immigrant, as someone who, you know, was like upper middle class in the Philippines. And I went to a private school and what was taught to me at that school. Mm. And you know what I'm saying? And then coming back to the Philippines as, you know, the director of a Philippine cultural center. And it's like kind of mining information and history and kind of as an adult. And like, that's where I have, I've gotten all of that stuff that I missed out on when I was younger of like the denial and the hate and the, you know, being taught through a colonial lens through the school system over there. And I just had to go back and, and so I'm still learning. I'm still learning. And, you know, even with my employees in the Philippines, for example, like I was talking to them about indigenous weaves and I was naming indigenous groups and none of them had ever heard <laughs> of the indigenous people's names. You know what I mean? Like, mm. it's like, oh, what's that? It's like, um, they're an indigenous group in Mindanao. And they're like, oh, we don't know that. And these are people who are born and raised in the Philippines. Wow, that gatekeeping of knowledge and information yes. is just still so powerful as a way to keep people yeah. small mm -hmm. and disconnected from root. Like, wow. Yeah. And they're looking at me and they're like, oh, like sometimes, you know, when my hair's really blonde, sometimes I pass for white in the Philippines. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, they're looking at me like, oh, you're so privileged. You're basically white and you're from Canada. And it's like, why do you want to do Filipino stuff? <laughs> like, I always you've made get it. that. Yeah, I know. Totally. It's like, you've made it. You're why are you back here? White. Why did you come back? <laughs> and like, why are you so all about Filipino cultural stuff? And it's like, oh, how do you explain that to someone who's questioning me? And it's like, they're Filipino and they're born and raised and all they ever want to be is to get out and be like me. Oosh. you know and it's like what and then they're looking at me like you have so much privilege why are you cleaning your own toilet it's like huh mm. 
it's not the experience here in North America is so different, right? And they have a fantasy. It's like a fantasy that was colonial fantasy that was fed to them. Um, so it's like, I'm always having to straddle that kind of living here, being middle-class, being a POC, being, you know, trying to my best, trying to do my best to work hard and put food on the table and, and then going back there and having so much privilege and being put up on a pedestal because I'm from here. And, you know, and kind, kind of like canceling, trying to cancel or trying to um, adjust the way that they see me. Yeah, it's like that same very self-hate that you overcame is something that you encounter with your peers in the Philippines that mm -hmm. they're still working through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it's like, you have it all already. Why are you going <laughs> to... Why are you going to continue to try to be Filipino? <laughs> Essentially is the question. It's like, oh, wow. that's so sad. It's so sad. It's so sad. But then it's like, you know, after a couple of years, some of my employees is like, oh, we're so proud to work for Vinta. And, you know, because you're spreading our culture. And it's like, <laughs> and over the years, it's like, you know, their kind of way of looking at it has shifted because they're working for a company that's treating them well. And I'm talking about them. We're representing them as a people to the outside, to the globe, you know, like to outside of the Philippines. So then it's like now their, their perspective has shifted a little bit. But in the beginning, it was like, why Filipino? <laughs> why did you do this? Just do nice fashion for abroad, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that actually pings into a, a conversation that we had before we started uh, recording that like, if you were in this to make money, <laughs> you, right? yeah, if you're in this to make money, you would, you could have done that, but you're not in this to make money or you're, you know, the driving reason why you're in this is for increased visibility and cultural pride and celebration. And um, it's not even, I don't even think I'm going to take it back a little bit is that it's not even for anybody else, really. I think that, you know, you kind of benefiting or getting what you got out of, you know, Kapisanan or whatever the work that I had done in the past. It's like, it's mostly for me. Mm. It's like, I am compelled. I cannot um, shake it. I can't shake it because it's so important to me. And it's the only thing that I feel. Yeah, I just feel like it's my purpose. And everything else that kind of everyone who benefits from it is not, was never my intention. Right. That's a byproduct. It's a byproduct. Yeah. So for me, it was like, I'm just doing it for myself because I love it. And I think it's so cool and it makes me feel whole and it gives me that purpose and whoever benefits from it benefits from it. Well, I resonate so strongly with that because that's when people ask me why I started Good Body Feel, um, like the, the studio and, and the, the method of teaching movement. I was like, oh, I did it for me. <laughs> I did it for my healing. Like I needed this space. I need to move in this way in order for me to feel whole and at home in my body. And um, so it's so cool to hear it echoed 
in you in a different industry, right? Like you're in the fashion industry, I'm in the movement industry. And in both cases, we both centered our healing. And when we center our healing above all else, we find our purpose. And when we find our purpose, the byproduct is collective healing, collective connection, which is so cool that it's not just in the wellness realm that you can find healing, but also in, in art and fashion. And, um, yeah. yeah. And you know, I've always loved fashion and I think I abandoned it when I started getting politicized because I, I was at that radical phase where it's like, oh, fashion and aesthetic doesn't fit in with my radical agenda. Mm. Can't make it come together. And then it wasn't until decades later in my midlife that I've been able to make it mesh and make it make sense. You know, it's like, why do I have to reject my love of fashion? Because I want to be a critical kind of aware and socially conscious person. It doesn't have to be like that, you know, but it took that long. It took so many years for me to make it come back and, and mesh for me. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. It's exciting. It's exciting that, you know, as, as we start to draw bridges between seemingly disparate aspects of ourselves um, that the incoming generations will just take that um, as, as a thing that's possible, right? Whereas we had to discover whether or not it's possible for those bridges to be built between our different selves. Um, But the incoming generations will be like, yeah, I can be political and I could be really into looking hot. And mm-hmm. neither that of them. That wasn't the, the case back in, you know, early 90s feminism. That yeah. was like, you know, you, you had to have a certain look or something, which is also ascribing to aesthetic anyway. Yeah. But <laughs> it's just a very particular type of aesthetic to, to kind of identify with being a feminist. Like yeah. The punk rock, third wave feminist kind of stuff right and then now it's like you can look like hard to be and be a feminist and it's fine yeah totally totally i i encounter that in um in the studio my studio space a lot where um like i'm always rocking big earrings and lipstick even when i'm mm-hmm. teaching and um i remember early days in the studio people are like wow cool you're a yoga teacher and you wear makeup like yeah <laughs> <laughs> So can you, <laughs> if you want to wear a lipstick to your class, you can. So it is interesting. Um, I mean, it's exciting. It's exciting when we can draw those bridges between what used to be a binary towards a spectrum, like creating that or, or making it more and more visible that everything's on a spectrum and you don't have to be this or that. It could be all of it. You can be all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's a way to find the intersection or, or reconcile those parts of yourself. So that's, that is one of the upstanding parts about, about your work uh, throughout the years. And now with Vinta is that you can, you, you can honor your roots, you can fight for visibility, and you can do it in a way that celebrates aesthetics. Aesthetics doesn't have to be a weapon against, it could be a weapon for. Mm -hmm. And you can be ethical and kind of pay living wages and, you know, which is a part of fashion that only recently have been you know kind of scrutinized and 
at the time that I was into fashion in the early 90s, that wasn't even a thing. It's like the Mm -hmm. exploitation in the industry was like rampant, right? And so now it's like now with everybody's awareness around ethics of manufacturing and, you know, all that kind of stuff, it just, the timing was perfect for me to integrate my old love of fashion and make it make sense for who I am today and who I am now and what has informed who I am over the last, you know, 20 years kind of thing. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. You can be a for-profit, cultural centering, ethic driven, beautiful business. Like Mm -hmm. all of those components can be at play. And that's incredible that you can create those sorts of opportunities for folks in the Philippines, um, which then helps hopefully, well, not hopefully, evidently inspire their own reconciliation of accepting their and being proud of their cultural roots by giving them something to be proud to be a part of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Totally. Totally. There's not, you know, it's not a humongous, humongous impact. It's not like I'm employing hundreds of people. But it's impact nonetheless. It's impact and visibility nonetheless. And, and that, you know, when we can use our sphere of influence for good, regardless of how big or little that sphere is, then Mm -hmm. that's it. it. And then hopefully they will be inspired to use their sphere of influence to celebrate cultural pride and acceptance. And, and then that'll hopefully ripple out and out and out and out and out. So Mm -hmm. yes, that would be a good byproduct of all of this work. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, I love this conversation so much. And yeah, I I also love that it is happening on my Lola's birthday. I thought it was last week when we originally scheduled the meeting. And then it's kind of like it had to happen today when I looked at the calendar. I'm like, oh no, today is the 17th. Today is my Lola's birthday. Um, so it's was Lola here in Toronto with you guys or she was. She was she was in Toronto and then she moved back to the Philippines when she felt her time was coming. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then she, she passed away gardening. Aww. Yeah. So tending to, you know, her farm uh, and, and just kind of. Where is fell. that? In Ilocos? Yeah. Um, in Isabella. Oh. So yeah, still Northern, Northern Philippines, Isabella, uh, Isabella province. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. And, and she was like, she was my mom. I mean, my mom was my mom, but my mom was always working. And so I, I, I was raised predominantly by my Lola and um, in her stern, loving way. <laughs> Very stern, stern Lola. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I got slapped by my Lola a few times. Uh, yes, totally. That was, <laughs> that's, that's, yep. <laughs> Uh, I learned how to play the piano because of that. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah, oh, yeah. You got something. <laughs> yeah, I got something. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I think it's auspicious that um, this. Happy month- birthday, Lola. Yeah, happy birthday, Lola. Rosalinda Peralta La Cambra. Um, mm-hmm. Did she speak Ilocano with you? She did. 
she did. But you understand Ilocano more than Tagalog, right? No, opposite. I understand Tagalog more than Ilocano, mainly because my dad can only speak oh, Tagalog. Okay. And so, uh, and for the longest time, I couldn't tell the difference. I could only tell the difference is my, if my dad was in the room, because then he would look spaced oh. out. Like, he, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If he was spaced out, it was Ilocano. If he was engaged, it was Tagalog. That was how I, how oh, wow. I uh, found the difference. And then it was when I was older and I had more of, like, I could pick up on the, like, the, the nuances between the speaking. Like, <laughs> when my, my, when my mom's family is together and they're talking, they sound like they're angry all the time. Like, they sound like yeah. they're yelling at each other and fighting, but really they're not. Um, and so that became my markers. Like, are they yelling and sound angry, but they look happy? Oh, that's Ilocano. Yeah. <laughs> Ilocano have hard consonants. Yeah. It's so fast. It's like, yeah, they roll their R's really, really hard. And I, when I listen to it, it's like alien to me. Like, I cannot even pick up any words at all. Like, it's nothing like Tagalog. It's a whole other nation country <laughs> yeah that's it language that's, that's the other that. fucked up thing about the philippines the quote it's not dialect the they're completely different languages totally different languages yeah so that tells you how completely different the cultures are yeah and then the minimization of that by being like oh it's a dialect like no it's not a dialect it's this whole other language and those people are sovereign people um yeah. But anyways, that's a whole other hour that we can get into. I know, honestly. Oh my gosh. But somehow we have to have a unified front because we are stuck together. Mm. And, and I think that's the, you know, the lesson in this is that if you identify as Filipinx or Filipino or Filipina and your people are from the Philippines, it's like, shouldn't we play like we're on the same team somehow? Mm. isn't that good for us to kind of create that community and have that with each other I don't know it's a wicked world out there yeah and we are stronger together yeah Mm -hmm. absolutely thank you for that yeah yeah well this has been amazing I'm so grateful that we were able to make this work and it's been uh, a real privilege to in, engage and luxuriate in this conversation for the past hour and a bit. Um, and I'm just so grateful that we have kept in contact for the the decades that we've known each other. I'm so grateful to you uh, and you persevering through the work uh, and showing what's possible when you put your healing at the center and the thing yes. that drives you at the center, what's possible when that happens. Well, I have you to thank for that too. Mm. Oh, lots of lessons from you too, Robin. Mm. Intergenerational tool sharing. Yes, I remember it wasn't long after we first met when you were like, "You are my karma." (laughs) Did I say that to you? You did. (laughs) And you're still reminding me, slapping me in the face (laughs) to this day. It's true. Because you were so kind and soft in, in some ways and so fierce in others. And I was just fierce. <laughs> I didn't have access to the kindness yet because I had like my trauma just kind of played out that way. Mm. Right? So it's like mm-hmm. it, it took a little bit longer for me to find the softness and the compassion. 
Mm. Well, I'm so glad that we can share. Like, I definitely am grateful for your fire because it emboldens me and happy to to breathe over some compassion your way too. <laughs> yes, I need it. I need it. <laughs> Ah, all right, Caroline, how can people find you? How can they find you on the interwebs? Interwebs, um, on Instagram, Vinta Gallery, at Vinta Gallery, and uh, VintaGallery.com. That's our shop. We're also on Twitter. Um, we don't tweet too much other than tweeting our Instagram stuff, but we try to engage in some conversations there. Um, so it's at Vinta underscore gallery on Twitter. Amazing. Thank you. Yes, everybody go follow them on the Insta and share, share widely. Um, and I always end off these podcasts with a grounding, cleansing moment. And I'm wondering if you have a closing affirmation or phrase that um, we can use as our grounding phrase. Hmm. Um, how about let's combine the word that I was using and your whole vehicle and make it radical compassion. Mm, radical compassion. I love it. Mm. Yes. Everyone breathe that in, breathe in radical compassion for yourself, radical compassion for your peers, radical compassion for literally every human being that you mm -hmm. have relationships or conversations with. And yeah, yeah, then we can all play on the same team. Yes, for the community, right? Yeah. Radical compassion for the whole community. Mm, I love that. Thank you so much. Let's Take one big cleansing breath with radical okay. compassion. Big, big breath in. Sigh <gasps> <Try> it out. <sighs> yes. Mm, yes. Thank you. thank you, Robin. Oh, thank you so much, Caroline. Such a pleasure. And thank you to everyone listening. Go follow Caroline Vinta Gallery. You know where to find me, Royola, royola.com. And we will catch you on the next one whenever that is. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye.